This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express. It's Neil David, your host as always, and we're here to talk about anything interesting in the last couple of weeks of European wrestling. I'm a little bit exhausted, a little bit tired. You might hear that from my voice. I've just got back from doing a real-life Eurograps Express. I've been exploring northern Italy on trains, um, which was which was brilliant. As, as great as it is to be back in the arse end of Salford, it's late at night, I've got my cup of tea. I'm thinking about sitting with a with a glass of wine on the streets of Bergamo, being brought snacks as a as a drink. So as great as the progress of Red Pro stuff that I've been catching up on has been, and as much as I'm enjoying doing this and talking to you, oh, I'd give it all up to go back to that. It was bad that just you know that post holiday haze that you have where you just this is the life that I want. I noticed in Italy they have this fantastic thing, and I think it's the same in other European countries as well, where if you buy a drink. They'll bring you like a little, some crisps with it, you know, some nibbles or something. And then the more drinks you buy, the more snacks you get. So we'd got, we'd, we were staying in this place called Bergamo and there was this bar on a beautiful, beautiful square. It wasn't not even really a square, just almost like a roundabout, but it was in Italy and it was amazing, quiet, you know, with churches surrounding you. And you go and you'd order your drink and they bring you out some crisps. And I'd say, you order another drink and then they bring you out some, some nuts. And then you'd order another drink and they bring you out bread with bits of salami on it. And you could just sit there and, and eat and drink and talk all night. Um, and as I was eating and drinking and talking all night with my wife, and it was exactly what we needed. It was a fantastic break. Uh, you know, planning where we're going to go. You know, we went to Lake Como and, and took the ferry to Bellagio and... We went to Milan and went round all the fancy shops that we can't afford to buy anything from. And we walked up into the old town, the Cheetah Alta uh, in Bergamo and, and had lots of great meals there. What was in the back of my mind all the time is what is the Brit rest scene going to have for me when I come back? And it had quite possibly the most exciting news imaginable. And with the news we've all been waiting for. The WWE are having their first premium live events in SummerSlam 1992 in Cardiff this year. Amazing. Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's one of those tricky things about doing a podcast where, you know, you see something and, and you think, well, I've got to have a take on this because I can't not talk about this on the show. It's something that I've, I've, I've got to mention. And then you go, you, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to have to like spend some time in discords and on Twitter and finding and robbing some ideas off people because actually, I don't really know. I'm so disconnected from that world. It, it's baffling. 
for a long, long time, I convinced myself that it wasn't possible to disconnect yourself from the WWE, especially when you do what I do and you you write and you, you talk about wrestling for a living. Not for a living, Jesus, that's the dream, isn't it? Uh, for, for, for a hobby, like a big part of what I do. It's really, really difficult to separate yourself from that WWE world. And I convinced myself that it was impossible. And actually, I've realised over the past sort of 18 months or so, it, it really isn't. You just stop watching it. I mean, a lot of it helps that the flagship podcasts don't really talk about it anymore. Um, yeah, you get Wrestling Observer Radio, but that's often kind of like background listening to me. It's, it's not something that I'm really focusing on. It is possible to do it. And the weird thing is, when you're out of that world and then this, something like this happens that kind of draws you back in for a second, you start forgetting how weird these people are. How strange that company is. It's, 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 it's terrifying how weird and odd it is. I'm, I'm thinking a lot of it is purely in the way that they speak. I know we laugh lots about the box-like structures and the, 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 the going to local medical facilities because you got hit with a championship and, and all that stuff. And you, We can laugh at that. You know, they're brawling in the WWE universe and things, but... When you're away from that for a while and you get back in, it's just so, so bizarre. I keep thinking about that thing from the interview uh, McMahon did with Pat McAfee. And it was that, that thing that a lot of people were talking about where Vince McMahon said that his life is a lot easier now because he doesn't have to please employees and fans and he just has to please shareholders. That's it. They're the only people he really needs to worry about. And it's terrifying how that has infected and infested everything so they're talking about the show in Cardiff and they're putting out tweets saying things like oh a record number 59,000 people have signed up to be alerted when tickets go on sale who gives a shit I just I, I, I'm, look, I'm reading this and I'm, I'm looking at the tweet and I'm thinking you see, it reminds me when you used to watch Raw when they'd say, oh, we've got more Twitter followers than, than ESPN. That gives us shit. It's so weird. Like, it's it's like they're always talking to shareholders. They're always talking. People buy into it. That's what I think is weirder, actually. Not so much that they do it, is there are people that will use that as evidence of anything. The only thing that that is evidence for is that 59,000 people have, have, have put, I put... I put my email address into it and I'm not going. That's the that's something for you. I put my email address in and there is no way I'm going to go to that. Or there's a 99.9% .9 chance I'm not going to go to that. I've actually noticed that Progress have put a show on. Um, and I'm thinking if a few other satellite promotions go up and start putting shows on, then, then I might be tempted. You know, I, I might be. Uh, but at the minute for progress in WWE, you know, I'm hearing rumours that there might be a Flash Morgan Webster match at some point, uh, which, you know, that's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to draw me. I mean, he is Welsh, Mark Andrews as well, but they won't do that, will they? What it'll be is best case scenario, it'll be, it's not going to be Brock Lesnar, it's going to be Roman Reigns against maybe Drew McIntyre. And Drew McIntyre will get beaten because they'll, he's he's British. Um, I mean, he's Scottish, isn't he? I, I don't even know how that'll go. It, it just it, it won't be anything anything particularly worth spending the hundreds of pounds that it'll cost uh, to get there. Um, and I live in Manchester as well, so it's not actually that difficult for me to get to. I mean, Cardiff is 
and Wales in general is, is notoriously difficult to travel around. There's not much in the way of motorways and infrastructure. Part of why it's such a beautiful part of the country, uh, but the, it's very difficult. My I've got family that live in, in southwest Wales in Cardigan. And before we had a car, just getting down there was it was a day of travelling. You'd travel all day to do a two-hour drive, or three-hour drive probably. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll get the tent out of the shed. We'll see. We'll see who else is going, see if I can convince my wife. Um, the other piece of big news I had was that 1PW are back. Yes, 1PW. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not really going to talk about this one. Um, it was before my time in Britress. I was kind of at 1PW were around when I was at university. And, and, and those who've been to university know that other priorities take over. And I, I, I kind of fell out of wrestling for, for four or five years. And it was that four or five years. Um, I would recommend listening, though, to the latest British Wrestling Experience podcast because on that show, they do such a fantastic breakdown of why it's a bad, like, why it's such a, a weird thing to do. Martin Bushby gives this this brilliant three minute, almost like you're, you're on that show just a minute where someone said, 1PW go, and he just talked about 1PW and all the ups and downs, the alleged ups and downs. Um, and why it's such a weird thing to do because as I say I never went to a 1PW show they were dead before I got back into wrestling um, but I know their name is synonymous with toxicity and Benno said uh, one of the other hosts said that it must have something to do with the library the con- you know, content is king at the minute and that's the only thing I can think of as well That I, I just can't imagine if you want to start a wrestling promotion why you would buy that name or why you would because apparently it's not just one PW coming back, it's been backed, and there's people involved in it who are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about wrestling and know what they're doing. And uh, why would you want one PW there unless it's to do with the with the footage? But who knows? It's nothing to do with me, and I won't be going. So who cares? Right? It's late at night. It's getting later. So let's talk about some wrestling. Uh, I've done a little bit of a catch up on progress, a little bit of a catch up on Rev Pro. So we're going to get the two big hitters out of the way um, this fortnight. So go make yourself a cup of tea, get some biscuits and uh, join me again in a minute to go dance south to talk about London. So Progress have had a funny old time recently. Um, they're back to their trick of taking a while to upload things. So we, I've, oh, I've got the 10th anniversary show, but there were a couple of shows um Around that weekend, uh, Who Run the World, uh, which was um, highlighting uh, female talent. And there was Everything is Patterned, which is highlighting uh, BAME talent. And the progress, as much as I'm, I'm going to slate them a lot for things on this show, I think doing shows like that deserves rightfully a lot of credit. And RJ Singh um, has been quite vocal about that. And I, I think he's right. I think, uh, you know, this is something as a as a white bloke, I even I can recognise, you know, it is important and it's an important celebration. Um, and it's a shame that it's literally, I'm recording this on Sunday to go up on the Monday and it literally went up late last night. So I've just, I, I will go through those shows and, and point out some highlights, but I, I think it's important that, that, that they get credit for, for doing those. Um, this weekend is currently their Atlas weekend and they're bringing back their Atlas championship, which is a championship belt for people who are 205 pounds or over it kind of came out when that 205 live thing was happening and it was exciting and, and they did something which i thought was a great idea of, of doing the opposite and having a heavyweight tournament um 
do we still want it now? Maybe. I don't know. I'm up for it. I think do we have the, the, the talent pool to have it now? Probably not. Um, the bracket isn't the most exciting thing I've ever seen. There's a couple of people in there that I like. There's Will Cruz. Uh, Luke Jacobs is in there, which, I mean, I, I'm on record as saying I think he's a junior. Um, I think he's got a tendency to get swallowed up against big guys. Uh, you've got people like Joe Hendry and Ricky Shane Page and Big Damo. I mean, Axel Tisha's good, but there's, there's nothing here that, that that's going to really make me excited. It's not close the blinds. You know, that old cliche of I'd close the blinds if it was in my garden. I'd, I'd, I'd watch it, but I'm certainly not excited to see it. And I, I don't really think anybody is. And my evidence for that is that they had to move the venue into a much smaller venue. Um, which I, I feel kind of bad. You're sort of laughing at them about it. And it, it's more just the way they announced it. They didn't. Because to me, that's a big thing, isn't it? Like, I I don't know London very well. I've, I've not been. But it's it's a big place. You know, I know that much. I've been a few times. And I know that you don't go to London. You go to a specific place in London. And yeah, it's well connected. And you've got the, the tube and all that. But it's not something that's, you know, so you suddenly on one side of London to the other. You need to make arrangements. And they didn't really announce it in a big way. It's not moved from one side of London to the other. It, it's, it's, but it's a different part of London. Um, but the way they announced it was, and I'm, I'm going to read this verbatim because I think it's the mo- it's quite possibly the most progress thing I have ever read in my life. It's that, you know what, the way progress have a tone, the very sort of how do you do fellow kids tone that they have. And it's all a little bit, it's all like they're trying to be kind of wacky, you know, and it's old men trying to be wacky. Here's the progress tone. And it's, it's, it reminds me of, and I'm going to get in trouble if she listens, but she doesn't. But like when my wife's around her younger cousins and they're going off to festivals and stuff and she tries to go, oh yeah, I remember when I went to festivals. And it's, it's a bit like, oh, we're, we're too old for this now, dear. You know, we're past trying to sound cool. It's a different era. And even if it is all the same, and even if it's all repeated, the kids don't think we're cool. And it's it's got that tone of of, of someone trying to be cool. And it, it says it says this, it says As some will have noticed, the venue for this event has changed. Simple reason, it's Easter, and it seems more people than we anticipated have family plans. Or they don't want to risk having to share their Easter eggs in a crowd. As a result, we've decided to move to the dome a more intimate venue that will ensure the atmosphere and the show is as electric as it possibly can be. Now, I feel bad for laughing at this for two reasons. One, because not selling enough tickets is is, is not a good thing. You know, it's, it's, I, I want British wrestling to do well, and this is one of the biggest promotions, and this is one of their... This should be something that in the past would have been a big deal. Um, it's not super strong 16 or anything like that, but it's a, it's a big deal. And having to move it because they've not sold enough tickets is not a good thing. The second reason why I'd sort of I'm hesitant to criticise this too much is actually because it's probably the right decision. You know, it's much much better for lots and lots of reasons to put your show in a smaller venue that's full than put your show in a big venue that's empty. You know, for atmosphere. Uh, for optics you know you're not going to look like a successful promotion if someone just happens to come across you on the wwe network because they go on there don't forget and if someone happens to come across you you're just going to look very low rent whereas if you're in a smaller room and it's full you can have an amazing i mean look at that gwf show that we talked about last time the atmosphere in that room was incredible 
But it's just the tone of it, isn't it? This idea that, you know, it seems more people than we anticipated had family plans or they don't want to risk sharing their Easter eggs. You know, it's a little bit wrong type of weather excuse, isn't it? You know, that the old Vince McMahon, the circus is in town or, you know, there's a football match on or there's this or there's that. If it, if it was good, people would want to go. And could I have put together a better um, £205 plus tournament? I don't know, probably not. You know, I mean, obviously I can think of wrestlers worldwide. I can put it, like, you know, when you think about this fantasy booking thing, there's two levels, isn't there? There's what you could actually do and what you would like to see. I mean, what I would like to see is, is relevant. What can I actually do? And, and you know, how could I have done any better? It's not been helped by the fact that Jonathan Gresham is injured and they've gone all in on Jonathan Gresham, for better or worse, that we're going to talk about on this show. Um and him not being there and having to be replaced by Kid Lycos, I mean, that's a downgrade. That's a massive downgrade for me. And I'm not even a huge Gresham fan. I like Gresham a lot. He's not somebody that I get really excited about, but <laughs> Kid Lycos, Jesus. So it's not looking brilliant in, in Progress World. And that's, as I say, having not have seen the Everything Patterned and the Who Won the World shows. Um, but they, they've had a little bit of a rough time of it at the minute. They're still going on tour, though. Uh, they're doing a big tour. As I say, they're doing a show at this Cardiff show in September and they're doing a tour around that. Um, they've called it the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad Tour or something. They're the squad, you know, Kill Bill. They've, they've called each each um, each show after a different member of that, that assassination squad, which isn't cool, actually. I don't know how people feel about Tarantino these days, but I went back and I, I watched a few Tarantino films. One of them was Kill Bill. And they don't they don't hold up. That might be a controversial opinion. I don't know, I'm, but I, I think they they've aged really badly. Like they're kind of just a little bit dorky, um, which is progress, I guess, isn't it? Age badly and a little bit dorky. So let's get ourselves caught up. Then I'm not going to go over both chapters. We'll talk about the tenth anniversary, but first of all, I just want to hit really briefly on a couple of big matches from chapter one thirty: dodge, dip, duck, dive, dodge. I don't know the reference. So because um, companies can't upload things in a reasonable time, um, I'm all going to hit on a couple of the bigger matches from this one. There's a couple of title matches. Uh, but this one, uh, Progress Chapter 130, Dodge, Dip, Duck, Dive, Dodge, started off with a Spike Trevay video package. And I was a little bit confused as to where it was going because actually I kind of thought it was going in, in one direction. And then it, it swerved. In a really weird way. So it was him talking about the schools that he went to. And about how his parents paid a quarter of a million pounds for him to go. And he, he went to the school as well. He stood outside it and said. This is the school my parents paid for me to go to. Quarter of a million pounds. But I got in trouble for fighting. But because my parents are rich. They complained. They sued the school. And then they sent me to another school. And I got expelled from that school as well. You know just built himself up as being this this, this prick. And being this this you know, this, this really annoying person who didn't appreciate what he had in front of him, that typical Tory boy thing. And he even mentioned that as well. He says, I've never talked about my political affiliations and you've just assumed, you've just assumed I'm a Tory wanker. And it was a really interesting promo. But then I thought, I wonder where this is going. Are they going to try and turn him? Are they going to try and add a little, a few layers to him? Even if not turn him, just add something that's a little bit more, more juicy about him. Something that you can sink your teeth into a little bit. But well, they didn't. In the end, he 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 started saying things like, "Oh, I I you you might be annoyed by me, but I have to live with myself every day." And he he sort of did his big brother's um, big brain 
amateur psychologist routine on him and he, he says you know i'm going to make you wrecking basically you know I'm, acknowledge me i'm spike trevay rubbish um i've noticed on this show as well i don't know if they've been doing this for a while but i never noticed it because i tend to phase out during the banter nowadays but now they, they don't say don't be a dick anymore they say don't be a brick Anyway, um, <laughs> there was, a, uh, there was a, like I say, two title matches on this one. And the first one was for the uh, the tag team titles. And this was the Smoking Aces against the 0-1-2-1. I really, really like both these teams. I, I love both these teams. I think the 0-1-2-1, I, they've got that effortless cool about them. You know, man like Doris is coming out rapping and Dan Maloney staring into a camera and flexing his muscles. And they they're not... Nothing feels too planned about their entrance or their presentation. They just feel like really genuine people who are who are who are having a good time and who are, are ready to fight. More importantly, as well, their confidence just bounces off the screen. Um, obviously, it helps the fact that I think they're both really really good wrestlers, Matt, um, Maloney in particular. But they're just a team that I really want to watch and I really want to root for. And they don't feel very progress to me. They feel too real to be progress. You know, progress always has that sheen of artificiality about it. You know, that NXT kind of fakeness to it. Um, which only teams like, ironically, the Smoking Aces, I think, can overcome. Uh, I think Charlie Sterling and Nick Riley are, are, are brilliant. I, I really do think their offense is exciting. They've, they've got that thing that a lot of the best tag teams have, where they do it's just move after move after move after move. And... There is an element with them of that they've just been watching Young Bucks tapes, you know. They they're just big lads instead of sort of juniors, you know. They're they're bigger boys, um. But I I, I do think it, it works, you know. There's a few bits where they're a little bit sloppy, but that idea of big blocks doing those constant moon salts and doing kind of weird assisted pile drivers that the Young Bucks do, there are worse influences, you know. There are definitely definitely worse influences, um. Comparing the entrances, though, really kind of highlights what I don't like about the Smoking Aces. You know, like I said, the 0-1-2-1 come out and they're confident, they're brash, uh, they're, they're exciting, there's energy to them. But then Smoking Aces come out and they do the, they could, they stand on the entrance and then they turn to each other and they do a, a like a high five, like a weird high five. And they walk to the ring, they look at each other, they stare at their opponent. And there's this thing that feels very artificial, it feels blocked out. It feels like they've sat and they've discussed how they're going to do this entrance um, backstage. And it, it just automatically makes it feel a little bit darky. And again, it's a shame because it, they're great. Really had a big fight feel for a while as well. The good couple of minutes at the start, I really thought this was going to be something big. You know, they were staring each other down, the two teams. and Nobody does a stare down better than Maloney. Um, but then it kind of just got a bit drawn out. You know, we had a stare down. And then we had another stare down. And it was that thing from a wrestler's point of view. I get it because the crowd are chanting and it sounds like it's really exciting. But actually, it's boring. It's rubbish. And I don't know why the crowd are chanting. I don't know why the crowd are, are getting this excited over to people looking at each other. Yeah, you get that moment, that bit at the start where they do it. And that, that works. That's really, really good. But they just kind of drag it out here. And I, I, I didn't really like that. But the wrestling, I would definitely recommend watching this match because I think he was he just had a gear and he didn't stop. You know, he just started and we were off. You know, Sterling and Maloney were bounding around, but Maloney had an answer for everything. Great drop kicks and all sorts of offense. And he had that feel like when you're watching a hockey match and the action's moving faster than your eyes and you just swept along with it. Um, and the guns were great bases for a 1-2-1. They went insane. There was no 
the big drawn out hot tag things here. It was just quick tags. They were scrapping for tags. It was almost lucha style in its pace and just the guns doing these amazing moonsaults they do, like I say, are very influenced by the Young Bucks. Um, everything was a scrap and a fight. It, it, it was really, really good. Um, the problem with the smoking guns, like I say, is they're doing the Young Bucks routine, but they can't quite do it. You know, they don't quite have the speed. They should probably look at more of a power move. And they did a weird assisted pile driver to win. Um, but it, this was a good match. It was 10 minutes. You know, 10 minutes in and out, fast action. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's strange that 0121 lost and didn't win the title here, um, but we will talk about that a little bit more later on because we had a double world title match. We had the Progress World title and the ROH world title on the line. Jonathan Gresham, champion representing ROH. Karen Noir, the champion representing Progress. Um, and we're off. And it we're finally going to see, you know, is Karen Noir going to be flying over to America for Tony Khan's ROH? It was obvious he wasn't, wasn't he? <laughs> that's, that's kind of what ruined this match a little bit. Like, Karen Noir can't be Ring of Honor champion. You know, it's just it's nonsense. Gresham's Ring of Honor champion, and he, he should be, and he will be. Um, the commentary had a lovely moment here that was hilarious because obviously Karen Noir's coming out and he's doing his entrance that in his head is like the best thing ever. He thinks his entrance is revel he's changing the way people see professional wrestling. And he does his pose with the wings out and then there's a quiet moment and the commentary say, Ladies and gentlemen, your progress world champion, Karen Noir. And so it's like, Oh my we're in the presence of Karen Noir here. I'm blown away. Um uh, Noir's been champion though for 791 days and that's not something to be sniffed at I know we've, we've had pandemics and things I'm very aware of that but that's uh, you can't argue with this, the uh, statistic and whoever beats him whoever wins the belt that's going to be a big significant thing um, his facial expressions are rubbish though aren't they Karen Noir there was a bit when they, when they introduced him and he, he lifted his belt up in Jonathan Gresham's face and he looked like you know, just the good that he made was just was just weird. And then obviously we had to stand around and listen to chanting and stuff. And the whole presentation just took a little bit away from me for this. Um, it started well. There was hard, fast grappling. Um, lots of breaks. Uh, Gresham did a thing with his leg where he, he was outsmarting Cara Noir by moving it away at the last minute a couple of times, which I thought was interesting. Um, but ultimately, this was technically competent wrestling, but ultimately very uninspiring wrestling at the same time. It wasn't a match that I, I, I could be, I can be excited about. You know, it's a match that I have to come on here and talk about. But what do I say about it? It was probably a gentleman's three. Um, it picked up a little bit. Some of the grappling was assisted, you know, and helped, and some things didn't really make sense, and they were. Some really nice little moments, like a great power bomb onto the knee that Karen Noir does, and you know we'd have to. Every move that was done was cool on face value, but there was always a bit of a clunkiness getting into it. There was a smoothness that was missing, or a, or a grapple that was missing, rather. You know, like a fight to get into it. It just all felt very assisted. Um. Well, then Trive, we talked about him earlier. What did we get? We got the distraction, capital T, capital D, the pro wrestling distraction. Can you imagine this working in any other medium? 
Trevay stood at the side of the ring, um, and Gresham took him out. And you know, Cardo had dropped the champ, uh, dropped the champion. He 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 dropped the hold that he had. Um, but by this point, we were telling stories, and I don't understand this. I know they want Noir to move into something, so he's going to move into the uh, Spike Trevay thing because he's a big star for Progress Noir. I might not like him, but he's he's someone they should be booking because he's a big star. Why do we have to set this match up right now? Why do we have to set the next match up to the detriment of the match that we've got now? I know there's an argument that Noir couldn't lose clean, but this makes him look worse than losing clean because he couldn't stop himself dropping the submission hold and it leading to his downfall. Um, he sort of came back and, and, and then the referee was d- distracted and Spike Trevay came back and smashed Noir on the head with a chair and that's how Gresham got the belt. I, I just feel a little bit all right, do you know, like it's just a little bit. That's how you end a seven hundred and ninety-one day title reign by doing something that the WWE would have done in two thousand and nine. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like this, this sort of thing shows that it will never be for me. And now suddenly Gresham is heel. He's flipping the crowd off. He's he's annoyed, and it just it was just odd, really. The best bit of this match, and the bit that made me laugh the most, I thought this was absolutely fucking hilarious, was the bit Cara Noir got a shout out from the commentary, a thank you for being our champion during a global crisis. And I stood up and I saluted. Thank you, Cara Noir, for being our champion in a in a global crisis. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, what is it, duck dive, whatever it was, um... Dodge, dip, duck, dive, dodge. I, don't, I have no idea what that is a reference to. I thought it was like Mike Tyson's knockout or something, but I have, I have no idea. Um, but there's not really much to recommend on that show, apart from that tag match. I would really recommend that tag match. I thought it was really good. But we're going to visit the tag team booking in a minute because we're going to talk about a whole show next. We're going to talk about something that should be really significant. The 10th anniversary show. I'm aware that I've just been really critical of progress, and there are a lot of things to be critical of. They make it make it really easy sometimes, and there are a lot of things that I can say about them. But actually, sometimes I've got to take a little bit of a step back and give credit where it's due. And this show, overall, I think had some really really high moments in it, and I think that it's one if you're going to watch a progress show. This is probably the one that I would watch because it was the most entertaining progress show from top to bottom that I've seen in a while. And I'm going to really have to eat some humble pie in this review. Um, This is why I buried it half an hour in. I've not said it at the start, but I'm really going to have to eat some humble pie with this one. Um, So the banter was as bad as ever. Like, I don't need to go into that. It it started with um, Simon coming out and the, the crowd chanted 2022. I talked about, was it last show or the show before, about the new champ, old champ chant at WrestleMania weekend in the Oku Swan match. Um, I don't know if just chanting 2022 is the worst chant. Actually, no, the worst chant is still from NXT UK TakeOver um, when the crowd just chanted UK. 
It's just weird, isn't it? It's just it's like when Americans chant USA, like we think we laugh at that. Don't I thought we laughed at that. I thought we 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 were we sneered at it a little bit in a, in a friendly way, obviously. But I thought we just thought weirdos, and apparently now we do it as well. But anyway, twenty twenty two was the chant. Um, Briley officially retired, I suppose, in in this match. I think he he hung on. Probably one of the original owners, and I think he hung on a little bit when the new owners bought it to do like a, a, a transition thing. Um, and they thanked him for his service, and he came out and he, he left his headphones in the middle of the ring and, and gave a little speech. Um, so there we go. See you later, Briley. Um, then on to the wrestling, and it started with a four way for the women's title number one contendership. It was uh, Laura Di Matteo. Uh, who won and she beat Alexis Falcon, Rio and Sky Smithson. Um, do you know what? This was all right. You know, it, there's some red flags flying here. There's some wrestlers in here who I'm not a huge fan of. Like Laura Di Matteo, I think she's got a fighter's charisma, but I think when the bell rings, she's not really good enough. Um, but, you know, she was good here. She got some great submissions all the way through. Uh, it was a four-way, so we knew that two people just had to go outside and, and wait their turn. But, you know, Sky Smithson here was the standout, actually. I think she looked the best I've ever seen her. She was an absolute powerhouse, a bruiser, especially at the end against uh, Alexis Falcon. They had a bit of a to-do during the match, Alexis and Sky, and they've started a little undercard feud, which is really good for those two. That's kind of the level that they're at. Um, and Alexis Falcon was was good as well, but Sky Smithson just, at the end of the match, just battered her. And they had to have that lovely visual of all the referees coming out to try and stop. And she didn't. She kept going back. And I thought that was really good. And this was a really fun opener. You know, it was, like I say, six minutes, one pace, exactly what it needed to be. Really enjoyed it. Now, here's my first piece of humble pie. Because there was a Charles Crowley match and he beat Danny Black. And again, just a, a six minute match. And I really don't like Charles Crowley. I've said this a lot. I've seen him a lot as well. And I've had to sit and endure him doing balloon routines. I've had to sit and endure him having some weird friends with him at Catch Pro who were doing like mime that was crap. Like doing crap mime for like 10 minutes it felt like. Uh, and I find him really cringy. Like he's dancing isn't funny. Uh, when he gets a mic, his enunciation is just very drama school, and I just don't really like it. I don't get. I get the impression that he isn't a pro wrestler. He's someone who plays pro wrestler. But he started to win me over during this match. He was really, really good. And did he do enough to cancel out all the times he made me sit through those balloon routines? <laughs> no, probably not. Um, but this was the first good Charles Crowley match I've ever seen. He is surprisingly technically competent in this. Everything he did was pretty much perfect. And he again, it was a six-minute match. And I wonder if sometimes, because of the way the scene is, that when you go to these companies like Wrestle Carnival, who really push Charles Crowley, he's in positions that he's not quite ready for. Because I think he is quite young and he is quite inexperienced. You know, it's not always as easy now to look at cage matches and see that, oh, someone's been wrestling for five years. Well, say someone's been wrestling for five years, they've not. They've been wrestling for two because the world shut down for a few, quite a few years. And they've not had the same level of experience that that, that five years would have got ten years ago. You know, that if you were around in Brit Rest 
10 years ago and you got that five years experience, that would be a lot more worthwhile than the experience you would get now. So it's it's difficult with Crowley and maybe putting him in a six minute 50 match, uh, you know, second on the card is where he is going to start to learn and impress. It's going to ha- he's going to be able to hide things. You know, maybe putting him in, in a position where he's he's high up on the card and he gets a mic all the time and he gets to seemingly book his own stories. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but I, I just I think this is appropriate for him and he impressed me and I, I thought he was really good and he's someone who I'm he he forced me to look at him with a little bit more of an open mind now. I think and it's it's important that we that we reevaluate things sometimes and I'm, I'm not saying I've reevaluated, but I'm reevaluating. Well, I've just eaten one piece of humble pie, so I think it's time that I eat my second one because the next match was Ilya Dragunov against Kara Noir, and I should hate this, shouldn't I? I Kara Noir, I've talked about him already. I I don't rate him. This feud that these two have, I think, is one of the most overrated things in European wrestling. I don't think it's that good. It's so weird. I think you have to be Hideo Kojima to make this work. You know, this idea of a beautiful violence that's very pure and that they're they're having this wonderful battle out on the in the ring and it's where they're gonna learn they truly learn to love each other and fight by fighting and I don't even know. You know what I mean, then you know the story that they tell. And I just I can see the cogs working with it. You know, I feel like I'm I'm watching a backstage conversation when I see these two wrestle. Everything's got a little bit of a smirk to it. And that's clever, isn't it? Isn't that clever? Like when they hold each other's wrists or they'll be stood next to each other and their hands will brush and they'll look shocked and it's, you know, a little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, aren't we clever? And I, I don't, I like that, but I like it when it's done subtly. It's like they can't have these moments without drawing our attention to them to, to celebrate how great they are. The promo that built to this, I hated it. Oh, it's so corny. I think Ilya Dragunov is a terrible promo. And Karen Noir is too. Um, so all this building up, I wasn't going into it with much hope. Also, the fact that the the outcome is kind of decided, isn't it, really? Because he's going to lose. He's, he's, Ilya Dragunov is the NXT UK champion. I think if Karen Noir was going to go to NXT UK, if they were interested in him, he'd have gone by now. Maybe he's not interested in them, I don't know. But it, it would have happened by now. Um, I can't see them going for him. Like he just, I, I, can't, I can't put Karen Noir anywhere other than kind of progress. And, and even in WXW, I don't think he fits. So I think he's a progress guy, for better or worse. I really like this match. I th- <laughs> All that being said, I thought it was really, really good. Um, you know, he had this very intimate handshake to start us off and then grasping headlocks. But ultimately what came through was that Ilya was frustrated with Karen Noir. Um, he wasn't getting the full fight out of him. You know, Karen Noir had just come off a high-profile loss and he didn't have the, the fight and the spirit that he normally had. And... and Ilya was able to just absolutely dominate him, and he did dominate him all the way through this match, but in a way that he was so annoyed with him, like he was, he came because he wanted this challenge. It was almost like he he came back to progress because he wanted a, a taste of those previous. But I mean, the fact that the previous matches aren't very good, or I don't think they're very good, you can ignore because they the the story was told in this match. You know, they're kind of looking back on it and 
he's looking back on these matches and he wants a piece of that magic. And Cara Noir just wasn't physically able to give it to him because of the losses that he's had recently. And that's just such a great story. Um, you know, the points where Ilya was dragging Noir and slapping him and threw him out the ring. I mean, what a great idea. That that I mean, the slap is so emotive, isn't it? So disrespectful. But slapping him and slapping him and slapping him and then the throwing him out of the ring. You know, that's just great. You know, he was and even a grump like me, like I say, was was ready to and predisposed to just really bury this and lay into it. I just couldn't because I thought that it was great. That just full of little moments. The underdog structure was really, really good. Um, Dragunov just battered him, and there was a moment when he was battering him, and the crowd went silent. You know that the kind of repeated forearms to the face, and it was oh my god, they, you know this is really violent on a level that you don't always get in progress and or at many places really. But then a headbutt came in return, and everyone erupted because you know Carnival was fighting back and. You know, it, I just thought it, it was it was really good. Um, they fell into a hug at one point, which screamed a little bit too much symbolism. But when the wrestling came back, it was great. Um, obviously, Spike Trevay came out at the end and told the story. You know, he's going to show us how ugly he is. And, you know, you like Cara Noir, so I'm going to hit... I'm fucking rubbish. This Spike Trevay story is going to be terrible. It's one of those things where it's barely started, and I know... I'm going to have to skip the shows. Like, I skipped the Choo Choo Train one um, just because other things have come up and I couldn't squeeze it in. I think I'm going to have to... I'm hoping that happens. The stars align and we don't have to talk about that one. Then we had a uh, a tag team title five minute... Uh, five minute. It wasn't five minutes. It was 33 minutes. A five-team gauntlet match, um, which the 0-1-2-1 won. Um, so the 0-1-2-1, coming off a loss against the Smoking Aces in the previous chapter, won this one. Uh, it was 0-1-2-1, Smoking Aces, Lycos Gym, Sunshine Machine and Northwest Strong. And I kind of came away from this one feeling a little bit gutted for 0-1-2-1. I got gutted for myself because I, I thought there was a better story in there with 0-1-2-1. And I, I don't really... I get they've protected the Smoking Aces a little bit. Because basically the way it worked is it was Smoking Aces out straight away uh, against Northwest Strong. Um, Strong were dominant. Um, Ridgeway kind of golded Sterling at one point. Sterling ripped his singlet off and um, they wound him up to the point where the, he just Ridgeway just got battered and, and Northwest Strong were eliminated. Uh then it was the young, um, the Lycos Gym. And I tell you what, talking about humble pie, I'm going to eat the biggest piece of humble pie here. Lycos Gym were good in this. And it was a fifth of a gauntlet match. But you know what they did? It, they, they sort of controlled and it was boring when they were, as it always is when they're in control. Um, smoking Aces were great when they came back with the double hurricanes and stuff and the, all these mad backbreakers that they do. But then one of the Lycoses, I can't, I can't remember which one it was, but they had their baking tray thing and they hit one of them, uh, I think it was Nick Sterling, with a baking tray and got themselves disqualified. They did it in full view of the referee. like they, they thought the referee wasn't watching, but he was. And I just thought that was great. That's kind of the, the position that Lycoshima are in. They, gotta, if they're tripping themselves up, I think that's that that's better. And that, that worked really well. Um, Sunshine Machine came out. And then we're on Smoking Aces against Sunshine Machine. Uh, Sunshine Machine let 
smoking aces have a break. They said, you know, have a have a break, have a minute. You've been in it for a while, and let they let them sort of have a, a drink of water. And I thought that's a a really nice way of doing a a, a, a bit of booking, having a little bit of a, a bit of variation. Like we, I think we can have baby faces versus baby faces. I think that that works. You know, you can have and you can present this as a contest. But then Smoking Aces spat the water in Sunshine Machine's face. And Smoking Aces aren't outright blue eyes. Not in the way Sunshine Machine are. You know, with Chuck Mambo, we do, you know, they're being bright and cheery and things. But they are faces. And it was just a bit of a weird thing to do. I thought, like, it was almost like they were insistent on having somebody be a heel in this match. And it was Smoking Aces. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't love that. To be honest with you, I, I just thought it was a bit of a strange way of doing things. But um, yeah, Sunshine Machine beat the Smoking Aces um, with an amazing shooting star press. Then 0121 came out. They'd lost the match. He went straight to dives, but we went into the crowd for a lot of this. And the, the in-ring was action-packed and, again, cool stuff. But by this point, big move fatigue had hit me a little bit. And then... And ultimately, 0121 won. And I just couldn't help but think he deserved more. I get in this way, from a, a very cogs working, pencil booking point of view, you've come out with more. Because the argument, I guess, for doing it this way, because what they've done is they've had 0121 lose to the Smoking Aces. I might have called them smoking guns. I apologise if I have. They've had 0-1-2-1 lose to Smoking Aces. Then you've had Smoking Aces go long in the gauntlet match. You know, they, they've they've beaten three other teams. Then you've had that buffer with Sunshine Machine. And then you've had 0-1-2-1 beat Sunshine Machine. So the argument would be is that you've protected Smoking Aces. Because yes, they've lost, but after a grueling match to a team like Sunshine Machine who are former champions and are no slouch. Then you've got the fact that 0121 lost a match and then beat Sunshine Machine after they just had a match. It just So you, I suppose you're setting up a, another challenge there straight away, aren't you? You're setting up a rematch. And I, like I say, that last match I really liked. That Smoking Aces against um, 0121, I thought would were great. I I re I really like that match, and to have another one would be good. But to me, often sometimes, simple is best. I wouldn't it have been so much better to have O one two one beat the Smoking Aces, and then run the gauntlet. Did we have to have the Smoking Aces in this match? I'm because th I'm thinking, you know, what would you do with the Smoking Aces in the gauntlet match then? But don't have a minute. Or just have 0-1-2-1 against Sunshine Machine. You don't have to have a gauntlet full stop. It was just a very sort of a weird string of decisions that from a very... You know, like sometimes you listen to a pop song or you listen to something and you feel like it's been generated without much love, but it's been generated from a very functional point of view. And, and that's what this felt like. It felt like it had been, it had been booked. It felt like it had been booked. It didn't feel natural. You know, you could see the booking. You could see the cogs. Um, and I think that a lot of this, like I say, is exasperated by the fact that I think 0-1-2-1 are brilliant. I think they're one of the best tag teams in the country. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think they deserved a little bit more. But anyway, we're on to the second of the championship matches on this show. Um, title matches. You can't, you know, I don't work for you. They're title matches. Um, 
It was Giselle Shaw against Alex Windsor. This this was a match. Like, this was a gentleman's three. I wondered if they were maybe pushed for time and they got squeezed because it was 10 minutes long. Um, I thought, actually, Windsor looked really good. You know, she had good fire. Um, but I think there was fatigue from the crowd from the half an hour match they'd just seen. And I, I wonder if maybe things should have been in a slightly different order. You know, you maybe could have had the gauntlet first and then had the the um, the Crowley match as a buffer and, and, and so on. Because there's a lot of big matches here. You know, we've got a championship match coming up. We've had that big gauntlet that was half an hour. You had the Karen Noir match that was emotionally draining and 20 minutes long. And they chose to give the women's title match the squeeze. I think, in a way, it's good. You know, Giselle, Giselle, Giselle Shaw gets another win under a belt. and But the match itself, is, there's just nothing to report, really. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Then it was Jonathan Gresham defeating Warren Banks. And um, Gresham's a baddie now. You know, he there's this thing of, you're not our champion. You you got the champion through nefarious means. 
and he, he swears at the crowd and he's turned heel and started it's just hard to get into that isn't it it feels very like i said before about the about the booking it feels very artificial it feels like i can see the cogs working it's almost like sometimes if they were to be a film and they were to leave bits of the green screen in the background it would bother you and i kind of feel like that about progress booking sometimes um i don't know if a lot of this comes from my hang up and this is a bit of an old one for me that the champion whether heel, blue eye, whatever, the champion should be the best wrestler. And the progress champion might be the best wrestler, but we don't know that, do we? Because he, he cheated to get there. And I I just think it's a strange thing to lean into because they are really leaning into it. You know, they were Gresham said to the ring announcer uh, to say that he's better looking and a better wrestler. And it's just like, okay, like it's fine. You know, but it, it just it feels a little bit artificial. Because to me, the best the best heel champion, the most frustrating heel champion, are the champions that are better wrestlers. You know that they're they're arrogant shits who are great wrestlers and they know it. That's what makes an interesting heel. You know, and not this nonsense. But anyway, Banks came out and they didn't go straight into rolling around, which is a, a makes a nice difference, I think, for a um, for a for a Gresham match. It, it was a, I, I got the impression that maybe Warren Banks couldn't quite grapple on the level of Gresham, so he just didn't put him in that situation to to expose his weaknesses, which is probably the, the right idea and the best thing to do. But the first half of this match was just absolutely dominated by staring. They did this thing where they they were grappling together and like in a, a collar and elbow, and they they rolled out the ring, and they never really took their eyes off each other very much, and it just it kind of s- slowed to a crawl a little bit. There was too many moments of silence when it went outside; it was too flat. Um, Banks was completely dominated, you know, throughout. You know, Gresham just really battered him. Uh, it. It almost felt like they were trying to do the underdog thing, but it was almost they went too far. I think in terms of dominance, I think Banksy's a good enough wrestler to have some fight, um, a little bit of a fight back and a few hope spots. And there were the odd hope spot, but nothing really significant. It felt like Gresham always had one up on him, and it never really looked like he was going to lose. Um, at one point, Banks was thrown to the outside through some chairs and. Gresham just went inside to let him get counted out, but one of the fans put Banks back in the ring, and I don't know if that was that. that was I assume that was worked, you know. I don't, I don't think that's something that, that that fans would naturally do. Um, but then Banks did fight back, and he got a pin, but his foot was under the ropes, and Gresham hit a low blow, and it's just a bit like okay, like the the. the he got to that point where, you know, I said before about don't tell stories like the 2009 WWE, and this is what they did in the main event. You know, Gresham was hitting low blows, and there was good bits of the final sort of stretch with desperation pins. The build was lacking, but then, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, Lycos Jim came out, and commentary was screaming, why? And I was screaming, why? <laughs> you know, uh, they were there to help Gresham win, and now Gresham is aligned with with Lycos Jim. And this is what I mean about progress just having a little bit of a bad run of it. You know, it isn't just a case of the uh, necessarily of the 
of the, of the luck they've had with the venues and the selling tickets. It's more just this booking is really weird in places. You know, the O one two one thing. I can. I'm I'm analysing that and I'm enjoying thinking about that. You know, like yes, I wouldn't have done that, and I'm being critical of it. But actually, I'm, I'm thinking about that in a way that I'm enjoying. And I'm glad that 0 one 2 won a champions. And I think they're going to have some great matches. I think the tag division has been really good in progress, like us, Jim, aside. But this... I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Because Jonathan Gresham isn't on the show. He was booked to be against Chris Ridgeway. And again, it feels like we've, we've had this match a few times now. So it just it feels a very stagnant promotion. And, and, and they're... they're for their main event scene, they're leaning now into some really corny, cliche booking. Um, interestingly, uh, Gresham didn't come out with the ROH title, and I believe that they've actually put this match on the network. So that seems to be um, the limit. Uh, like seems to be sort of the, the decider that if he doesn't come out with the championship, he can be on the network, which, yeah, cool. That, I think that's fine. Um, so that's 10th anniversary. Apart from the main event, Actually, I thought a decent show, a one worth watching, and, and, and a few lessons for me in there as a critic to not not stick to my guns too hard. Um, but that's progress. We're going to stay in that London, and we're going to catch up with Rapper. As I read my book on the banks of Lake Como in Bellagio, sipping on a on an espresso thinking about going and getting some gelato. One of the things I was certain was that RevPro would have some shows uploaded by the time I got back. And they did. They had one. We've got one show. The ironically titled Raw Deal 2022. Now, Raw Deal from Stevenage happened on the 5th of March. The 5th of March. Between now and then, uh, sorry, then and now, we've had two live in London's, a live in Southampton, and yesterday we had a Red Pro Contenders Revolution Rumble. So we are now, let's call it three, pro- be generous, the, the Contenders thing is fine, but we are three proper shows behind. One of those happened a week ago, the latest one happened a week ago. Now I have a bit of a contentious relationship with with um, companies and uploading shows. And I, I feel like I always used to get me back up with progress because people would ask them, oh, when's the, the, when they were, there was a buzz about them and everyone was excited. They'd say, oh, when's this show going to be uploaded? And you'd always get really sassy replies. I think it was Briley. You'd always say things like, five to seven days, I say this every time. And it just like that. And it really wound me up because I'd always think, well, people just want to see your show, mate. You know, people are excited. People want to keep up with your company. And I don't think RevPro sometimes, I don't think they realise how much international eyes they get on them, which is weird. Because surely they should know more than anyone. You know, our, the flagship on the Voices of Wrestling, Joe watches all RevPro. And if it's good, they talk about it on that show to tens of thousands of people. You know, they go on New Japan World sometimes. They, they're, they're a brand that a lot of people know. And they're not uploading their shows. And I understand last time that Andy Quilder went on holiday. And I know it's it's a small operation. It's a small business. And there has to be allowances made. But we're now only just talking about shows 
from the 5th of March. A month and a bit. And I just think that's crazy. And they, they tweeted out that, oh, we know it's been a bit quiet, but big things are coming. And I don't know what those big things are, but I don't know what could make up for it, to be honest with you. Like, say it's another New Japan show. And I, I don't report or read anything into that because I don't know. I'm purely speculating. Say it's a New Japan show. That doesn't make me feel any better about having to sit and watch four Rev Pro shows in a row. Because I'll be honest with you, this is another Rev Pro show that wasn't particularly good. They're not easy to watch. And I don't mean that necessarily from a, an in-ring point of view. Or the, but there were parts of this that were hard to watch from an in-ring point of view. But they're difficult to watch from a production point of view. The sound of this was terrible. I'm convinced, and again, I don't know anything, but the commentary all the way through this show, well, not all the way through, there was a couple of, that's to, to be fair, I, I want to be fair on them here. There were a couple of times when um, Gideon Gray made a joke about, oh, it would be a shame if this got deleted. And it started to make me think about the cadence of where things were landing. I think something happened with the commentary live at this show and they had to do it again. He just the way he made like it was a weird joke to make. Unless it's referencing something that's happened before, maybe. I don't know, because I think that has happened before. But it, it just that maybe did like production issues are part of it because they do seem to be it's not just that the production's bad, they seem to be struggling with it. Like in this match, the hard cam was too low. There were so many times that because obviously I'm, I'm I'm typing up notes for this and I've got it on one side of the screen. I've got the show on the other. And there were so many times that I thought the browser window had slipped down because the hard cam was so low. There were so many times when I couldn't hear the commentary. And because the commentary still with RevPro don't know when to be quiet, I could just hear like two voices mumbling in the background. And for, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I find that really distracting when I'm trying to watch something. And so, you know, they kind of make up for it sometimes, Red Pro, because if the show is absolutely amazing and there's a there's match of the month and sometimes even match of the year level matches on there, you forgive it, don't you? Because you're watching great wrestling and I, I think they're a great company. And I owe a lot to Red Pro and I, I, I know that sounds really dorky, but I, I do feel that way. You know, I, I, they were the company that allowed me to see New Japan stars in the prime. You know, I, I, Andy Quilden's brought over guys like Okada and Tanahashi and Nakamura and, and Jushin Liger and Thunder Liger and all these people that I, I think are some of the greatest wrestlers to have ever lived and I've seen them. Also, from a more kind of sort of personal level, I, I write about them and that got me into Voices of Wrestling and, and having making friends there and then led me on to doing this. And I've got a lot of affection for Red Pro and I think sometimes that's why maybe... When they do disappoint me, I, I, I'm a bit harsher on them than I would be. Because with Progress, I can slag them off all day and I can laugh at them. You know, I, I, I don't really... I, I like Progress. I'm not invested in them. I'm invested in Red Pro. And I see the potential that they have. And it, it bothers me that they... It's things that, to me, seem like easy fixes. Like, lift, like again, yeah, maybe it takes investment. And I don't know finances. I've never run a small business. I, and I don't want to speak out of turn. It's lifting the hard cam up checking the hard cam is in the right place is free it takes no more effort in fact it might take a few twists of a camera stand 
That's, a, that, that's the sort of thing that's frustrating. Listening to the commentary being too low in the mix. If you listen to this back, when you recorded that commentary, or you mixed whatever it was that you had, did you check that it was right? I check this. And no one's paid no one's paid me for this. I mean voicesofwrestling.com slash donate if you want to, but you know, nobody does and great, fine, I don't want them to. But people are paying for this, and I just think it's not only are people paying for it, but people want to watch this and want to engage in the product. It I don't I I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna stop talking about this because I'm gonna get really wound up. Um So let's talk about the matches. Um I don't describe moves or I try not to. Um but if I did, every match on this show would probably seem would probably seem good. You know, there were some good bits and pieces on this show. Um But none of the matches really were. And like I said before, that's what makes it difficult, and that's probably why I'm hyperfixating on these production issues now. Because when you get you know, even I'm not talking about match of the year, like that Oku Jacobs match from the last show that I thought was really good. I thought it was a really, really good match. Um you kind of forgive these production things, but I I can't really do that with um when when the matches are, are just bland really a bit of a three star special, and it's a shame because I mean look at this first match it's Ricky Knight versus Mysterioso, you know we get another New Japan strong guy and they rule another beefy boy, um, RKJ's proper over. Um, and I, I love that, I have to say I love it when they're more over than the import I mean maybe that's because Mysterioso is a little bit um, a little bit niche perhaps you know he's not exactly a, a major name um, and the crowd with these kind of shows in the Stevenage and the St. Neots, they're not as smarky as you would get in London you know they're not, they're, they're a little bit more family orientated um, but RKJ was more over and RKJ as always um, he does the big things but he also does the little things you know he knows how to look at his opponent after a rope break he knows um, not to not take his eyes off Mysterioso after he's done a shoulder block he, he doesn't just run the ropes he absolutely bombs them and and even a, a an average RKJ match is going to be good because he's RKJ Um a lot of Mysterioso's offense I don't really like. He needs that kind of assistance with it. You know, like he needs somebody to bend over at the ropes and have little bits of delays on dives to make it work. But um, overall, this was, like I say, he was decent enough. RKJ really worked from underneath and then fought back, um, which I liked. Um, it made me think about RKJ, though. Are we starting to spin the wheels a little bit? He's the star, isn't he? Like, he is a star... And we and we're not putting him in in a position to be one. This was a perfectly fine back and forth match, but Mysterioso isn't someone you can squash. Uh, squash. Can't he be battering people? RKJ. Should we be saying things like, you know, as he goes out, don't use the Made in Japan and Rainmaker. I mean, the commentary, kayfabe away, and they say that it's a it's a dig at Will Osprey. You know, because Shingo and Okada are two of his biggest rivals, and you know he's he's directing. But I I don't think it does. It feels like that. You know, you go to a training school show and they're doing a burning hammer or or someone not a burning hammer. That's a bad example. When someone does like a stone cold stunner or an RKO, uh, and uh, you it feels a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? The, can you see the difference? It feels like there's not like a the layer that the commentary are putting on. I don't believe is there. And I doubt that it's there now. Um, 
the guy's a star. And we need to stop being so hesitant about his push. I think he needs a rocket ship now. I really do. Um, willing to be proved wrong. And I think I will be. I don't think he can kill a star like RKJ. Because at the end of the day, no one's watching this, are they? You know, so he could go to AEW or he could go to New Japan. But I think Rev Pro could get a lot out of him first. And there's a bit of wheel spinning with him that we need to stop. Then we had Hyan against uh, Chantel Jordan. Um Chantelle Jordan is what the Red Pro Women's Division really needs. Maybe not being called the bad girl, but she's got that cool UFC fighter look about her, and she, you know, the way she she she's terrifying. You know, she <laughs> she would batter me in about three seconds, and or at least gives the impression that she would, and, and that's 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 really what we need. Um, she wrestles smart. She went for a pin straight away, um, and when Jordan gets going, she's got that great snap that Triple H loves. You know, it's the, and this is the match, by the way, where they say, "Can you imagine if the the commentary isn't recorded?" That 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 was a little bit of a red flag for me. I've been generous about high end so far, but I, I think I'm I'm at the point now where I want to stop giving her chances. You know, she's had a good six, seven months now. She's fine. You know, she's a good addition to this roster, and they really want to push her. Like she's this major blue eye, but I just don't think she can do it. I really don't. Um, she was slightly better here because I think she rises to the level of her opponent often. Uh, and that's why I think she'd be a great addition to the roster because if we had great opponents, then Hyen would be great. But they, she's often the only, you know, in the only women's match on this show, she's often in them all, and it just feels a bit, I don't know. Yeah, just I, I think it's time we moved on a little bit from Hyen, which is a shame because she seems nice, but I just don't think she I, I don't think she's on the level that she needs to be for the spot that she's in. Then we had Shota Umino against Luke Jacobs. Uh, Gideon obviously carries on his nonsense in this Gideon Gray. You know, he like it was one where he sprinted to open the ropes for Shota Umino. This story that they're telling is is a great way for Gideon to spin his wheels because he's he's always going to be in Red Pro and he's not. He they really went in on him in the Great Old Card thing and it's just not, wouldn't have worked as well with Yota Suji and Shota Umino. So they, or they you know they need to leave it fallible a little bit. You don't just want to have him manage the the, the imports. But he ran to open the ropes for Shota Umino, and Umino barely even noticed. You know, I think he, he's just like this idea that he's he thinks he's running a faction. He thinks he's at the head of the Legion still. He in his head the Legion still exists, and he just doesn't. You know, Yota Suji and Shota Umino don't probably don't even really know what the Legion is. Uh, but he thinks that he's he's in this faction. I think that's a brilliant idea, and it, it really makes me laugh. Um. Lou Jacobs and Shota Umino were a really great um, sort of dichotomy here, like a really great pairing because you've got the angry young man in Luke Jacobs who feels like he really wants to prove himself, but then you've got Shota Umino who's just the effortless star. And I think that's that's a really, really kind of good pairing. Um, Jacobs looked great at the start of this match. He was doing some great big shoulder tackles and sprinting from rope to rope. He clearly realised that people will probably be watching Shota Umino matches and, and I think he, he, he understood the assignment and he really went from it, uh, really went for it. Uh, there was a great slap from him at some point. You know, there was a, that, always that feeling with Shota Umino where you wonder whether or not he's taking it seriously. And, um, you know, but Jacobs slapped him in the face and, and that brought a whole new level of fire uh, 
um, you know, then Umino gave him a body slam, you know, which is a weird choice to move, you know, like to fight back. You know, you think if someone slaps you, you're angry with them, you want to punch them in the face, but Umino didn't. He gave him the most basic wrestling move imaginable, almost as if to, like, I'm a New Japan star kid. You know what I mean? It was that feeling. And it, I think that really worked with Shota Umino, and he, and he, did, he did that really, really well. This was a lot better when Luke started dropping big power bombs, but I think sometimes Luke Jacobs can still get a little bit cute, like doing dodges and trying to have a speed that he doesn't really have yet. There was a compete for a double count out that didn't quite land. Um, Jacobs kept going for ankle locks, but it felt a little bit random. It felt like a WWE computer game, you know, when you because you activate your moves on the D-pad and you do the up move and the right move and the down move and the left move. And it just it felt a little bit like that towards the end which, and a little bit clumsy in transitions, you know, which is a shame because it it, that's how it ended with a transition into a Death Rider from uh, Shoulder that was a little bit slow and a little bit clunky. I really feel like Luke Jacobs needs a great match now. I'm starting to wonder if a lot of learning opportunities are passed and, and, and do they need to kind of reboot him a little bit? Let's start getting some promos going with him because I feel like he's he had a great match against Oku, but really the rest of his matches have been pretty much stagnant. And I, I, I'm starting to not lose faith in Luke Jacobs, but I'm starting to go down that road a little bit. That I mean, again, I still think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be someone who's going to be on the scene for as, as long as he wants to be on the scene. But am I convinced that he's going to be a star? Not so much anymore. But I'm, I'm willing to be. I'm willing to have my uh, um, mind changed on that one. Then we had an undisputed British Cruiserweight Championship scramble match. Oku against Conor Mills, Nico Angelo, Callum Newman, JJ Gale and Joe Lando. And what a rogues gallery of amazing young British talent here. You know, particularly Callum Newman and JJ Gale are my two favourites. And Nico Angelo isn't a wrestler that I know very well, but he looked great and he was brilliant in this. Um, Joe Lando is a little bit lost. I think he's on a, a little bit of a level below, but he's a bit smaller. But he's incredible. Um this was just really overbooked, as you'd expect, you know. Um, everybody ended up fighting, and then they did that thing. You know, when like two wrestlers do the grapple, and they do the Eddie Guerrero thing of the double drop kick, but they miss. But four blocks did that, and it was it was a bit, you know, okay. Um, but there were bits in it where, you know, JJ against Lando had some excitement to it and pace. And yeah, okay, he was, he was just young, stupid kids doing moves, but they were doing sick moves. So <laughs> it's easy to forgive. Um you know, Newman felt the closest to me. To, he, he's made a real huge leap, um, literally in this match, but also figuratively. And we've got three wrestlers here, Newman, JJ Gale, Angelo, and well, four actually, Nico, who I think are ready for a push. And I think, I wondered why we weren't really doing that with this match. You know, it, it, I think it would have been much better to have like Newman, and, Newman versus Gale maybe, or, um, you know, just... Uh, Connor Mills versus one of them because because Connor Mills I think he's good Mills but I think the train's passed with him I don't think the Oku rubbers worked and he's fine but he he doesn't have the star power he just doesn't have the he he's kind of found his level I think uh, but I think he could he could be a really useful person to have on the roster to put a guy like a JJ Gale over you know or a or a Callum Newman over or someone like that. Um, 
Nico Angelo was great. Great look. Brilliant fight back. He did a moonsault and nobody caught him. Which <laughs> is a shame. Uh, Oku wins. Um, but he could have put so many of these guys over. And kind of the end was... Uh, Connor Mills did a 450. And because he, he was a big move, he, did, he sold it like a Rob Van Damme cell and, and moved off. And then Oku did the frog splash on the same person and got the win. So the, the way they're going down the story seems to be having this breakup between Mills and Oku are starting to put a little bit of tension there, which they, they, they've done before um, and, and never really went through on it, which I think was good, actually, you know, because it was, it was a bit of a real-life conflict. You know, real-life conflicts are often solved. You know, it doesn't always end up in a massive fight. But you've got such amazing young talent here. I wonder if you'd have been better served by putting one of them over. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Then we had Mark Davis against Yota Suji. Um, Davis is awesome, isn't he? I can't, what else can I say about Dunkzilla? He's effortless. There's no posing as such. He's just brilliant. He's, he, he gets it. Uh, you know, the the disrespect he showed Yota Suji here was great. You know, slamming him down with a headlock, slapping away his hand when he tried to grapple him. and uh, Real veteran wrestling. Um, but then he kind of, it's that thing, you know, we said before about the stairs that sometimes wrestlers notice that the crowd are chanting so they don't do anything. I think Davis realised he was getting booed. He's probably thinking, I'm going to be in Japan soon. So he really just did stomps and Irish whips and doing pins on, you know, kneeling on him to do a pin and that sort of thing. And it kind of had that polite booing that people were going, oh yeah, he's being a bad boo. But it it wasn't genuine. Like that suggestion of heat that I've talked about before. It built a little bit. I thought the crowd were generous. And I think it was just a match that was a few mile an hour slower than it needed to be. It felt like, until the end, it felt like background wrestling. You know, like wrestling that might happen in a movie while something else is going on. You know, it was was secondary character wrestling. Um... There was a great superplex in this, though. I mean, they landed hard, and that got me invested. And, you know, when Davis starts throwing clotheslines, and Shota sold them so well. You know, it wasn't just the clothesline. It was the way... I'm not sure, sorry, uh, Yota. Uh, the way his eyes would just go blank were, were excellent. You know, really great. Um, Suji did a massive double backflip thing and uh, over the rope, not... And it, it built really well, but it was almost just a little bit pedestrian at times. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, then we had Cal Fletcher against Alex Coughlin. Alex Coughlin's been so cool this tour. I think this is his last match. He's gone back to America now, hasn't he? Um, he just wants to come in, drop big bombs and strikes. And it worked really well against Matt, uh, Kyle Fletcher because... The whole point of Kyle Fletcher and his whole character is that he's very insecure, I think. He's someone who wants a scrap. He always wants to prove that he's tough now. Because for years, he was the skinny little boy, wasn't he? And that was always the criticism of him. That he's great and he's very talented, but he'll never make it because he's too small. And he's gone away and he's bulked up. And he's he's big now. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that of him anymore. You'd be a fool to say that. And there's almost that insecurity from him that he's he's put that into his character in a really great way now he's a heel so he wanted to do these collar and elbow tie-ups with Coughlin and he screamed because Coughlin's stronger you know Coughlin would always win those things and it you know it just I thought that was a really interesting thing um he 
heel fletches a little bit much at times. You know, there's bits when he was doing a clean break and he, he put his hands back and went, I'm clean, I'm super clean, and then hit him. And I felt like the clean, super clean line was just a little bit corny. Um, again, like always with Coughlin, you're going to get those big fallaway slams that are really exciting and amazing strength, like deadlift things. And I did wonder if Fletcher could have won this, you know, because Coughlin's going back to America and Ando obviously is in a position now he's going to be pushed somewhere. But I just think, couldn't Fletcher have won? You know, it feels like Fletcher could have used the win more than Coughlin did because ultimately no one's going to notice this really. But that, you know, is what it is, isn't it? You, you should have, would have, could have. Um, then you had an undisputed British Tag Team Championship match. It was Sunshine Machine, the champions, against Lycos Jim. Uh, I mean, Lycos Jim, what else can I say? You know, they were threatening to punch kids because that's what gets you heat. And I'm thinking, if Will Ospreay's your champion, and Will Ospreay should be your champion, you know, it's, it's appropriate that he is, but you have to accept that he's going to be flying away to Chicago to do this Windy City Rumble. He's going to be flying to Japan and, and he's going to be taking the belt with him. I feel like they need to pick another championship and have that as their focus. That Yeah, you're going to have Ospreay for the big things, but Oku's championship match was buried in that scramble and then you're having Lycos Jim in your tag team match and I, I think I mean and then obviously you've got the women's champion who wasn't even on the show I just think you need to pick one don't you Um, we got a brawl in the crowd for this and I don't like brawls in the crowd I don't think the British can really do them you know, not British wrestlers, but the British American, you know, the British um, audience. You know, because the Americans will, will whoop and holler and hell yeah and all that business, but they don't really. The British do they? They just sort of sit there politely smiling, and I, I think that perhaps it could have done with a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of an American sort of vibe to it. Really, what uh, the referee should have done, I think it was Chris Hatch. He should have just done a double count out because he wasn't counting. He should have just counted both out. And Andy, I would imagine, has a rule in place where. If you, uh, you know, if a championship can't change hands on a count out and, and left it at that. Um, Lycos were in control for a lot of this. And as always, they they, they, they just don't look good when they're in control. Uh, I think I'm, I'm finally done with Lycos now. And I've been done with them for a while, but I think I'm at the point now where I, unless it's for this, unless I'm reviewing a whole show for this, I'll skip them. And it's the baking tray dichotomy. The baking tray paradox. I understand why they use a baking tray. Because it's rubbish, isn't it? That's the point. That it's a weird weapon to pick. It's a dorky, crappy weapon. And that's the point. They've chosen it for the smirk. But I don't get why we excuse things that are rubbish just because you're winking at the same time. If it's rubbish, it's rubbish. And the baking tray thing is rubbish and not very funny. You know, there was distractions with powder and the tal talcum powder in this. And, you know, yeah, Lycos got each other, but I just didn't care. And there's a reason why this sort of wrestling needs to sort of just go away. Because it's it's... It's not very good. You know, think back to those WWE pay-per-views that we talked about earlier. When you knew this sort of thing was going to happen at the end of a match, 
What are the good matches in that era? What are the great main events? Which bits do you love? And it's frustrating because I know that Lycos, both of them, could have just a good match. Sunshine Machine could just have a good match. Yet for some reason we think that is just having a good match is worse than this. I'd love to know what wrestlers think about this. Like I'd, I'd love to know. Because they're taking a baking tray to the head. So it's not like it's getting them out of bumps. I'd love to know that when they're planning this. It's like, do you know when you hear an album by like the Lighthouse family or something. And you think, when they wrote this song. Where they look at each other going, yeah, this is brilliant. This is great. When AJ Styles was putting the Boneyard match together. Was he genuinely thinking, this is brilliant. Like, was... was was T.K. Cooper happy with this ending? Like, did he? Did Chuck Mambo think this was good? Maybe they did. Maybe they did. And, and you know, the audience were were sort of into it. And maybe people do. But I, you never hear anyone say it. You, you never hear anyone say, "Oh, the distractions at the end of that match really benefited it." And really, nobody says that. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Anyway, let's get on to the main event. Uh, we've got Rob, Robbie X against Dan Maloney. And Dan Maloney's had a great couple of weeks, as I've talked about with the progress. And I'm a, I'm a huge Dan Maloney fan. Um, and I'm really hoping that his character goes in a cool way uh, with Red Pro. Again, it feels like we're spinning wheels. There's a little bit of the RKJ thing there. Um, and he's a beast. And he's a beast in a way that takes him beyond that kind of heel and face dichotomy. And Cody Rhodes is one that talks about this. I don't think Cody Rhodes gets it. When Cody Rhodes talks about not being a heel or not being a face, he, he thinks it's like, well, one minute I can act like a heel and the next minute I can act like a face. But that's not how it works. You act consistently. Think of the way Tana, um, yeah, Tanahashi does it. He's got it. Okada, Naito, I think is the prime example. Think of the way he does it. He acts in a very particular way. He acts in a consistent and a believable way. And some fans love it and some fans don't. And he's always the same. Like when he goes to Osaka and they cheer him. He's like, oh, well, you're cheering me now, are you? You know, that, that sort of, I believe that he would feel that. And Dan Maloney needs an element of that to him where he's always going to act in this way. And I think it could go over as massively as that kind of, heel leaning face you know he's a face that does heel things that people will love you know almost like that living in the middle of between those two things one thing he did here that i thought was great there were a couple of of annoying fans that got a little bit too involved um in some of the previous matches there was a bit where kyle fletcher ended up speaking to them and they, it was like a man and his wife and i don't know who they are or if they were somehow part of it or involved somehow or whatever they're on the front row and the wife was like don't you do that to me and then she you know the bloke a big bruiser bloke i won't mess with him was like yeah don't you do that to her and kyle fletcher kind of diffused it by doing the scott hall kind of <laughs> fake scared thing and walking away but what dan maloney did and this is what makes me think they weren't part of it because he just went straight out and stared them all down and you know he's staring this bald guy's mate right in the face and the bald guy like tries to touch his arm and he just shoves his arm away and i'm thinking this could genuinely end in a real fight and i thought this is brilliant like dan maloney was so good in that bit he was absolutely fantastic um Maloney again Robbie X came out and they, you know there was dives and things as you'd expect and the whole point of the story was that um Robbie X came back from injury and picked his opponent in the last show and he chose RKJ and Maloney said no it should have been me I, I'm the biggest main event in the company 
Uh, so they attacked him and it was, you know, there was dives to start this off and it felt like a blood feud. But when Maloney got control, he's so horrendous. Um, you know, the, the way he, he does that thing that's so common now where he sits someone down and boots them in the back. But with him, it's so much more impactful. He does it so much quicker and more violently than anybody else. Um, just really great wrestling from him. It was really brutal. There was a Canadian destroyer in this, which took off half a star, but, you know, it is what it is. And he, there was a little bit of plod, like, you know, Robbie X being left outside for a count out, which, again, you know, broke the rhythm of it a little bit. But Maloney's just so captivating. You just, you, you know, he's one of the few wrestlers that can do that thing where you invite somebody to hit you. And it, it makes sense. Because that's always weird, isn't it? Why would you do that in a competition? You wouldn't do that in like a UFC fight. But with Maloney, he fits that and he does it so, so well. Um, it took lots of big bombs to put Robbie X away and there was a you know a thing where he got his foot on the bottom rope and, and X ended up sneaking it because of of, Rob, uh, of his arrogance, really, of, of Maloney's arrogance. And it was that, there was this lovely moment at the end where Robbie X knew realistically he'd been beaten, but he'd snuck it at the last minute. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd really dodged a bullet with this. Uh, and Maloney went up to him at the end and was going for a handshake. And there was this lovely moment of wondering what he was going to do. And I feel like you need this little bit of unpredictability from Dan Maloney. You need to wonder whether he is going to be violent or whether he's going to do something completely unexpected. And the unexpected thing here really was to go for the handshake. And I kind of wish he had, but anyway, he got his heat back, brother. And RKJ came out and, and saved Robbie X from a beatdown. And, um, you know, maybe it's because these shows have lots of small kids there that they do that and they send the crowd home happy. But I'd have been happy with a little bit more Dan Maloney character to chew on. And I, he can do it. Dan Maloney's upside, same with RKJ, their upsides are huge. And I feel at the minute we're not really tapping into it, which is fine if I feel like you're going in the right direction, but I don't really feel like they are. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what these other shows have in store for us. Um, this match actually had Gideon Gray's line of the night. Uh, which was when Tambaloni um, did a, a drop kick. He said that drop kick had shades of the drop kick king Adam Maxted, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Because Adam Maxted, if you don't know him, he was he's a wrestler now. He does bits in progress. He's done bits in Red Pro, uh, but he was a Love Island contestant, I think. So let me Google that. Like he was, he was a reality TV star, and he's very tanned. And he, yeah, Love Island, and he's. He's not very good. <laughs> He's really rubbish. And I just thought, what a lovely, lovely dig um, at the uh, former star of Series 2 of Love Island. Um, finished fourth, he paired up with Katie Salmon, it said here. So well done to him. Um, but that's Red Pro. Not great, really. You know, in terms of what would I recommend watching, the main event was good. And that's pretty much it. Even then, I wouldn't really be desperate to see it. It's a very pedestrian show that was very difficult to watch because of the production issues we talked about before. So that's us up to date with Rev Pro. So, as always, thank you very much for listening to Eurograps Express. I'm Neil David. You can follow me 
on Twitter at Eurograps EXP, all one word. Um, if you do want to donate, there's a donation link uh, in there. That'll help me get a better microphone. Uh, but you're under absolutely no obligation. I would much rather you sent me a nice message on Discord or said hello on Twitter than sent me any money because I'm really enjoying speaking to people about the scene and and, uh, and, and engaging with people a bit more. Um, so I hope you have a lovely fortnight. I'll see you in a couple of weeks where we'll talk about other highlights in European wrestling. See you in a bit.